You're listening to the Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, excited for this Christmas season. I successfully hung up Christmas lights on my house for the first time in seven years. And uh, we got to the tall peak of the, of the roof, and I survived. Praise, the God. Praise the God. I'm walking to tell you about it today. It was good. My dad held the ladder very steady. It was good. Well, before we jump in the word this morning, why don't we just put our attention on Jesus and get our hearts ready to receive from him today? Amen. Would you just join with me? Lord, we, we love you so much. We give you our hearts. We give you our attention. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive from you today. We want to receive you. We want to encounter you. We want to match eyes with you. We, got, we want to, Lord, to see your face. Lord, all we desire is you. We want to know you. We thank you for your presence here in this place. We give you all glory. We give you all honor. Lord, I ask that we would leave this place transformed by you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to continue uh, in, a, in a passage of scripture that I ended in a couple weeks ago. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, and a couple weeks ago I shared with you about lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes, and I want to continue in that theme this morning, and uh, if you remember back, really the, the encouragement was that the Lord is inviting us into a place where he has our full attention, that he desires for us to not be caught up or consumed with the chaos and storm of our world today, but to simply put our gaze and our attention on him, to seek him, to desire to know him more, to desire to be with him, and in that place, uh, to really know what it means like to, to be with him and, and to seek him and know him in that, in that real intangible way that we have an opportunity in our lifetime to set our eyes on him. And we were in Colossians 3 where Paul is talking to the church in Colossus where he has heard of their faith. He has heard of the growth of the church there. He's heard of what God is doing there. But he's also heard that they have began to be distracted. They have began to be caught up with other things. Even, quote unquote, some spiritual things. They were getting caught up in like angelic visitations and philosophies of man and all these different teachings and all these different aspects of life. And, and he was simply saying and reminding them, hey, there is no one like Jesus. He is preeminent. He is supreme above all. You need to keep your focus. You need to keep your attention on him, that he, he encourages them to realize that they need to continue in the way that they started, which was all about Jesus, and that they need to stay in that vein. That all of God is in Christ, and all of Christ is in God, and that Jesus is supreme above all. These are some of the main themes in that book of Colossians that we read. And so Paul, in chapter 3, basically saying, since you have received 
Christ. And again, when you receive Jesus, you don't receive an idea. You don't receive a teaching. You don't receive a doctrine. You receive a person. You receive the person of Jesus. And if you receive him, you receive his perfect work and all that he did for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And so when you receive him, Paul says in Colossians 3, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. And so here we are in verse one, Colossians three, as I just read, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I believe that the Lord, again, is just calling our attention to him, that we will stay in that place of focus and attentiveness to who he is and what he's doing and what he wants to do in our lives. I shared this quote a couple weeks ago, uh, earlier, actually the beginning of this month, and I, feel like, I felt like to share it with you again, just as a reminder of what God's asking us and calling us into. This is by Corey Ten Boom. It's, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look upon Christ, you will have rest. And this is what God wants for us, is to put our mind and our heart and our attention towards him. Colossians 3, 2, I want to basically go back into this passage we just read and kind of break it down for you. We went, we went through verse 1 last time I shared, and I want to continue in these verses here. So Colossians 3, 2 says again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on Jesus. In, in Matthew chapter 16, there's a story where Jesus is with his disciples. And I want to kind of read a portion of this story and talk about it for a bit with you. In Matthew 16, 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, and I believe that Jesus is asking all of us the same question again today. What about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And this is this divine moment right here where Peter speaks clearly and accurately of who Jesus really is. And Jesus had been with them for a couple of years. He had been teaching you know, many times and performed many miracles and they had witnessed all these things. And there's this moment where Jesus has this intimate moment with his disciples and he asks them, who do you think I am? You've seen me, you've walked with me, you've heard me, but what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? Other people say these things. Who, what do you say about who I am? And Peter chimes up, you know, with this, this amazing statement that the father revealed to him in one moment and, and, and Jesus gives him credit, but he gives him the credit like, you didn't come up with this on your own. 
God gave this thought to you. And, and really in this moment, Jesus reveals that on this revelation of who Jesus is, that he's the, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, that he would build his church on that revelation of who Jesus is, not on Peter, and that from that place that the church would be built by Jesus and would be advancing against the gates of hell. A few moments later, this is why I share this story. A few moments later, Peter, or Jesus continues to share with his disciples that he is going to be arrested by the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day and that he was going to be crucified and killed and on the third day raised from the dead. And Peter, who had just had this amazing revelation and this amazing moment where God says, where Jesus says to him, you were known as this, now I'm going to make you known as this. You were known as a reed blown in the wind, blown all over the place, and you're going to become Peter, a, a solid rock. This great identity moment for Peter, this great moment. He pulls Jesus aside shortly after this and begins to rebuke Jesus. I mean, think of the boldness, the, the courage to pull Jesus aside and begin to rebuke him face to face. Hopefully your prayer closet doesn't sound like that. Anyway, and he begins to rebuke Jesus and say, no way, this is not going to happen. This is no way that you're going to do this. And Jesus then rebukes Peter with the ultimate rebuke by saying, get behind me, Satan. Not get behind me, Simon. Get behind me, Satan. And he says, you don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of man in mind. And in one moment, there's a switch from this divine revelation of who Jesus is to I want, what, I want Jesus to do what I want him to do for me. I'm going to manipulate and control what I want to have happen here. Essentially, Peter's mind was completely on earthly things of what Jesus could do for him and probably the Jewish people in that time. If you're the Messiah, Jesus, then you're going to establish an earthly kingdom here and you're going to overthrow the Romans and you're going to restore Israel back to its rightful place. So he had all this in mind of what he wanted Jesus to do. And Jesus says, that's not what I have in mind. And here in this passage in Colossians chapter three, Paul, the Holy Spirit is inviting us and encouraging us, set your mind on Jesus not on earthly things, not on what you want, not on what you want Jesus to do for you, not on what you think he should be doing right now in this wonderful 2020 year and COVID season, but set your mind on who he is. Again, Jesus is asking us, who do you say that I am? Because if you actually see who Jesus is and you actually realize who he is as the Christ, as the Messiah, it demands a response. It demands you to actually position your life on him and have him be what your life is built on. Isaiah 26 says this, verse three, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, in parentheses, steadfast on God, because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He's the rock. He's the solid rock on which we are to stand. He is how our life is supposed to be built on. The church, our church, the promised church, and all church of the world is supposed to be built on Jesus. 
But often, somehow, some way, the church at large, in many places, especially in America, has gotten off base and has gotten off the, the sure foundation and has made it about us. About what we can have Jesus do for us. And we tailor church services and church experiences to be about people. And it's not meant to be about people. It's meant to be about Jesus. Like, pastors think, okay... I only, they can only handle about an hour and five minute service. So we're just going to tailor this service perfectly for what they can handle so that they stay in this comfort zone. Oh, you know, worship is about Jesus, but you know, people can only handle worship for about 20 minutes. So we're going to just make sure that they can, they only do, we only do a couple quick songs and we just get through that time because I know it really makes people uncomfortable. You know, this is what we have come up with in this American church culture. There should never be a term called American Christianity. Do, you, do we understand that Christianity is meant to be about Jesus? That Christ is Christianity. You don't have Christianity without Christ. There isn't meant to be a different type of Christianity throughout the world. There are different world cultures. There are different demographics and places around the world. And church might look different here than it does in China. But we aren't meant to like make church be tailored to our comfort zone. This is why we do what we do here. Why we worship the way we worship. Why we, we preach the way we preach. Why we try to express ourselves this way to God. Because it's for Him. What do you like, Jesus? How do you like worship? How, how, do, you, how do you want your word to be preached? I'm, I don't, I'm not interested in making you all happy. Like, I love you, and I want you to leave encouraged, and I want you to leave inspired. But I don't think about a message. How can I make them entertained? How can I make them laugh today? Uh, that's not what my job is here for. You want entertainment? You got Netflix. I don't really recommend it, but that's what it's there for. But somehow we have, we have changed it because we aren't actually living with Jesus as what our life is built on. So then all of a sudden we go through some really weird circumstances like COVID, like 2020, and everything in our life is shaken. And everything's turned upside down. And, and we, we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Jesus already told us not to worry about tomorrow. That doesn't mean that we don't like plan or we don't ask the Lord to show us what he has for our future. And we don't you know, walk you know, in this way of relationship with him. But it basically means like, don't look so forward to tomorrow that you forget where you are in the present today. And, you know, we've made things so much about strategies and principles and structures and systems, especially in the church world. And it's meant to be about a person, it's meant to be about Jesus. That when you walk into a church, you should experience the person and presence of Jesus, not a structure, not something built on a man, not something built on a person, but accept the person of Christ. But often we, we get off base on these things and God wants us to stay in this place. I, I'm reminded of the great hymn by Edward Mott that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus's blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus's name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. What is your life built on? Is your mind so cluttered and consumed with 
all kinds of busyness and stuff that you can't steal yourself for a few moments and minutes to be alone with Jesus and to be able to set your focus on him in that moment? You see, when we talk about the presence of God, that means he is present. And when we are so consumed and busy and cluttered and our mind is all over the place because we're really not living our life with him that we're, with, with, that we're built, that's built on him, then all of a sudden we can't be present with him in his presence. And being present means that you are still. That doesn't mean that, excuse me, that doesn't mean that you are physically always still. That doesn't mean that you can't, you know, walk and pray. It doesn't mean that you can't lift your hands and worship. But it means that there's a stillness of your heart. There's a stillness of your mind. There's a, there's a peace that has overcome you because your life is built on the rock eternal, Christ. I'm telling you, the world that we live in has nothing to offer you. <laughs> It will leave you disappointed and leave you frustrated day after day. Is your life built on yourself and what you can do and what you can handle and, and what you can manage and what you're able to do in your own strength? Is your, is your life built on education or is it built on the good teacher? Is your life built on medicine or is it built on the great physician? Is your life built on philosophy and, and wisdom or is it built on the one who is wisdom itself? What is your life built on? Is it built on the economy and, and, and career and structures for money and gaining wealth or is it built on the great provider, Jesus? What, what are we built on? One of my favorite verses, it's not gonna pop on your screen, but one of my favorite verses is Psalm 16, eight. This says, I will keep my, I keep my eyes Always on the Lord, with him at my right hand, I will never be shaken. You want to know how you don't, you go through life and are not shaken by things that go on around you or even go on in your life? Keep your eyes on him. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on Jesus. Let's go to, I'll just say this. There is divine satisfaction for you in the presence of God. It's found in nowhere else and in nothing else. Colossians 3.3. 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I want to talk to you about the hidden life. This is not meant to be a, a life of secrecy where you hide things in your life and you are not vulnerable. No, this is, what does it mean to be hidden in Christ? And if you look at this passage that we're looking at in Colossians chapter 3, in these four verses, it talks about since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you're dead. For you've died. <laughs> so you've received Christ. You've received his perfect work. Since you've received that, you're dead. So now that you're dead, set your heart and your mind on everything above. Set it on the one who is above all, Jesus. Because you're not in charge anymore. You're, you're not in control anymore. You're not leading you. He's leading you. He's king. And so now that you're dead, your life is able to be orientated properly. You're able to actually have the right posture, the right focus, the right attention. 
When all of a sudden everything is going chaotic in your life and, and your gaze has been shifted to other things, maybe it's because you are not dead right now. And what do I mean by dead? I don't mean physically dead. I mean dead to yourself. Dead to self. So what is the hidden life? The hidden life is dead to self. First one, you are dead to yourself. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know if there's other verses, there probably is in the Bible, but within one verse, the gospel is declared of what the gospel is and also the result of the gospel. In one verse, it's a powerful verse, that Jesus loved me so much that he came and gave himself for me, and as a result of that, I can receive him in my life, and now I'm dead, and he lives through me. This is the result of the gospel. This is what he invites us into. So I have this amazing opportunity and invitation to be hidden in Christ. What else does it mean to be hidden in Christ? It's a life of secrecy, not again of keeping secrets and not being vulnerable, but it's a life of being in the secret place, being alone with Christ. We talked about this a lot last time I shared a couple weeks ago. This is what he invites us into that there's only the only way to really have real life in every aspect of your life. The foundation and the core of everything is your time alone with Jesus. What does that look like? How, how consistent is it? How constant is it? If, if it's inconsistent, if it's not constant, if it's just a couple days when you can fit it in, most likely there's going to be this aspect where you are not walking a life hidden in Christ because you're not going to be dead to self. Number three is safety. This term with Christ in God really is like a double protection. You're hidden with Christ in God. Like there's a whole extra realm of safety in this life. And then number four is identity. When you're hidden with Christ, you've taken on the identity you receive in him. The only way to find out who you really are as an individual and as a person is found in Christ. You can't find who you are apart from him. He made you, he designed you, he has a plan for you, he has a purpose for you and you only will find it in him. And in that place of identity, in that place of hidden with him, there's an aspect of dwelling. There's this aspect of belonging. And so now you take on his heart. You take on his name. You take on his nature. And you're found in him. Right. Psalms 91 is a powerful chapter, powerful passage. And I want to just read a couple verses in here for you. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high, or in other translations, it says, whoever dwells in the secret place of the most high will rest or abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Verse 9 and 10. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. This is a great passage that illustrates and shows us what it looks like to be hidden in Christ. Notice that this passage is conditional. It's not automatic. You don't just get to have this because you're a Christian. It says, whoever dwells. 
if you make or if you say. It's conditional. It's on you. It's all available for you if you will. He will protect you from the traps of the enemy. What are some of those traps? Offense, gossip, greed, pride, idolatry, immorality. He will protect you from these traps if you hide yourself in him. If you're getting offended at people, you're all of a sudden getting all riled up and offended with church or individuals within, you know, within your family, within church, within your workplace, it's probably because you're not dead. Because you're not hiding in the shelter of his presence. Because if someone says something to you that really does hurt you, I'm not you know, saying that what people say isn't very difficult sometimes to receive or to hear and it might really hurt our feelings. I'm not saying that that's not legitimate. What do you do with it though? Do you forgive? Or you just immediately cut people off and out of your life and no longer have anything to do with people because they hurt your feelings? Or because they didn't, they didn't ask you to do something or they didn't you know, tell you something going on in their life or they didn't you know, re- recruit you or invite you to something. And we get offended and we're done or they didn't take your idea. If we're hidden in Christ and dead to self, offense, it's gone. Uh, uh, verse four, when Christ, who is, your, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is another question for you again, similar to earlier ones. Is Christ your life? Notice it says, when Christ, who is your life? Is he your life? He is life itself. <laughs> he, he gives you your next breath. He, the Bible says that he holds everything together and sustains everything by his breath, by his powerful word. This is life to you. And we have turned often church at times into a consumer-driven place where we come to get fed and real, instead of remembering that he is the meal. And our lives are shaken because it's not built on his word, but his word is the thing that will never be shaken. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Is he your life? What is this whole idea this whole verse talking about though is him appearing and him coming again in glory it really is an invitation to an eternal perspective to realize that this life is temporary it's a vapor it's a moment and that we will be before him in eternity one day and what have we done in this life that represents an awareness of eternity coming second corinthians 4 8 says so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Are you looking at what you can't see? (laughs) We talked about this last time that our heart and our mind 
have eyes. In the biblical culture and context, the heart and the mind have eyes. And they have a gaze and they have a focus. And usually what our natural eyes, our physical eyes look at and give our attention to is often the result of what our heart and our mind have given its attention to. Are you all caught up and consumed with what the media says, what the news is talking about, what's going on in our political realm, what's going on in our economy, what what the future has to hold? Are you caught up in all the crazy YouTube videos and social media and all this stuff? What has your attention? Or is your gaze on the Lord? And are you focused on Him and what He has called you to for eternity's sake? We are not here for now. We are here for eternity. And you are given now as a divine moment an opportunity to give him everything and to live for him in this life. We have nothing else to live for. Everything that you could build or everything that you could invest into in this world will die, will fade away. When you, when you die, you can't take it with you. But what you can is what will last for eternity. It's your love and affection to the Lord. It's souls around you that don't know him. Investing into them, your family, your church family, the lost, the people who don't know the Lord. In this chapter, in Colossians chapter 3, from verses 5 through basically verse 24, it lists out for us essentially the result of a life of lifting up our eyes. It lists out for us the results of a spirit-filled life that is focused on Jesus. It begins to go on to saying, put to death everything of your earthly nature, everything that you, you lived in before Christ, everything that is not of God, everything that is not of, of, of His Spirit, put it to death, take it away, don't live in it, don't listen to it, don't give it attention. And then clothe yourselves, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on love and unity and thankfulness. When you say, put to, when it says to put to death in verse five, it says put to death this. What does it mean? It essentially means consider it dead. Think about it. When something dies, you no longer give it attention. You're not thinking about it anymore because it's dead. When your plant in your house dies, you no longer think about it. It probably died because you weren't thinking about it beforehand. But when it's dead, you really don't think about it. Put to death. Don't think about it. Don't consider what you came out of anymore because it's dead. You need to be dead to self. Instead, put on, clothe yourselves. This idea of putting on or clothing yourselves in these things, it has the idea of sinking into. It's the idea of yielding. It's it's that place of receiving. So I'm sinking into the one who is compassionate. I'm yielding to the one who is humble. I am sinking into the compassionate one, into the humble one, into the gentle one who is Jesus. This is what this this means literally in the original language is this place of yielding to him, allowing him to have that place in your life so now his heart, his nature comes through you. When you're focused on him, all of a sudden you begin to live like him. You become what you worship. You become what you give your attention to. And then it goes into, in verses 18 through 24, it begins to really talk about family life. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect, submit to your husbands. Parents, love your children. Employees, be good employees. Be good workers as if look working for the Lord and not for man. It goes into all these details in verses 18 through 24. Essentially saying in all of these lists, you can only live this way if you set your heart on things above. 
if you set your mind on things above, if you're hidden in Christ, if you're dead to self. I'm telling you, marriage is a divine invitation into death to self. It's only successful when two people decide to die to self to become one person. How else can a husband love his wife as Christ loved the church? Because this is what it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He died. Family life will be a real, really a healthy and amazing and much better thing when people set their eyes on Jesus. When they lift up their eyes and focus on him and allow their, their lives to be fully built on him and they're dead to self, living in that place of, of alone time and secret place with the Lord. Again, I said this, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, that if, if a marriage does not have two people having their own alone time with Christ, eventually it will become unhealthy. It has to be built in. If you're a single person, you're a young adult, you're a teenager, and you want to have an amazing marriage one day, find a wife or find a husband that has an amazing secret place time with the Lord. There is to be a purity outcome and a practical outcome to a life that lifts up its eyes and looks upon Christ. There, this, this is the result of what will happen when you give attention to Christ. Anytime you see these lists in scripture, and we don't have time to go through all the lists, it's, it's basically showing us this will happen if you give attention to God in all the practical areas of your life. It will become the result. It will become automatic. It won't, you won't even have to really like, give it a ton of work because your work is on him and loving him. And all of a sudden he will tell you how to be a better spouse. He will tell you how to be a better parent. He will tell you how to be a better employee. He will tell you how to, to walk in love and how to, to share the gospel with the lost. All of a sudden these things will begin to happen when your life is built on him in the right place. When your attention is on the right person, on the right place. Would you please stand with me? I want to close with this, with these two verses out of the book of Psalms. I didn't, I didn't read them earlier. If, um, if you could put these up, Psalm 73, verse 25. I just want this invitation, this reminder for you that the world has nothing to offer and in Christ is all you need. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's my portion forever. When you die and go to eternity in heaven, if you have relationship with him, you get him. What else do you need? Last verse, Psalms 132. Psalms 132, verse seven says, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. When you sit at the feet of Jesus and ascend at his footstool, and you are 
you're looking unto him. You're giving him your attention. In order to see his face and his eyes, you must look up. Because you're seated at his feet. So now the posture of your life is looking up, lifting up your eyes. A.W. Tozer says this, when the eyes of man look out and meet the eyes of God looking in, there heaven has begun on earth. He's inviting us to look at his face, to look into his eyes, to know him deeply and not get caught up and shaken with all the junk and mess that's going on out here. But when you look at him, he will give you the right heart and the right compassion for the people that are around you of this earth that don't know him. And then you can lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white or ripe for harvest. And you go as a harvester into those fields. Jesus, Lord, we just desire to worship you at your footstool, Lord. We desire to love you and to give you the attention and the affection that you deserve. Lord, you are the only one worthy. Lord, you are the heaven's song. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Lord, you reign supreme and above all, and you are, you are above all. You are Lord of all, God, the name above every name. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you our attention. We ask for your help. We ask for your grace, Lord, to, to live a life of looking unto you and giving you our attention, that you would move into every part of our beings and every part of our practical lives, Lord, that we would be dead to self and alive in you. And Lord God, that we would live in this place from the secret place in you. And we would, we would find our identity in you, Lord, and that you would help us to be better spouses. You would help us to be better parents. You'd help us to be, to be better employees, God, that everything in our life is built on you. And anything that is not of you, Lord, would be removed. God, we surrender. We yield to you. We give you all glory. We give you all praise. God, let the world be shaken and changed through us for you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.